0: this morning's scripture will come out of Psalms 118, and I'll be reading from the NIV this morning. (laughs) Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I will look and triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surround me on every side, but the name of the Lord, by the name of the Lord I will cut them off. They swarm around me like bees, but they die out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fail, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand has lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done the Lord has chastened me severely but he has not given me over to death (coughs) open for me the gates of righteousness I will enter and give thanks to the Lord this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteousness may enter I will give you thanks for you answered me you have become my salvation the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone the Lord has done this and, with his, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord save us, the Lord grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord for the house of the Lord will bless you. The Lord is God, he has made the light shine upon us. With mouths in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever.
1: Good morning to each one, and we greet you in Christ's name. The picture we have in Psalm 118 is a picture of a person who highly treasures God, a person who place much trust in God. As he read across that, I was reminded of again how much we see David desiring God. one of the questions we each struggle with is where we stand in front of God. Do we wonder about our Christian walk? Is our Christian walk what we think it should be? Do we value God as highly as David did? Does it seem much easier to follow after our own way? Does your Christian life ste- seem stagnant and dead at some points? Or is your spiritual life and growth where you think it ought to be? I think most of us would answer that question in a negative sense. I don't know that I've ever interacted with a Christian who said, I'm there. I've got it. I've got it all figured out. I am growing perfectly. I am living perfectly. If we're honest with ourselves, most of us are not there. Most of us struggle with our desires, struggle with following after God perfectly. Many of us find ourselves in a place of wanting to do what's right because of social expectation and not not because we really want to often we have espoused the do the right thing because it's the right thing theology and we have not given adequate consideration to what motivates us what really does truly create God-honoring, moral living. Just doing the right thing is not enough, because as you should know by now, we are fully capable of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Most of us even read our Bibles at a level where we simply see it as things to do. So let's this passage tells me to do this and this passage tells me to do this and this one says to do this this way and in reading and in interacting with God in that way and in interacting with his word in that way I think we miss the very point of Scripture and in 1st Peter 2 here the Apostle Peter asked us to consider our desires To consider the means by which we are building our life. You can open your uh, copies of the scripture to 1 Peter 2, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 to 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner excuse me the, st- the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. One point in the text here that I'd like to point out before we uh, continue on is that in verse 2, um, the ESV reads that is that by it you may grow up into salvation. Uh, and that could maybe be taken that by following these steps you become saved. Um, other versions would say you grow up into the fullness of salvation. So Salvation is a gift that's full and complete. We don't gain a partial salvation. But we know that in our immaturity, we don't experience the full benefits of salvation. So as we grow, we are growing up into the fullness of salvation. I think the main point of what I'd like us to understand is that a believer who experiences God and understands God will follow his ways, and will build his life upon Christ based on the truth that he has found and based on his experience of knowing Christ. There's two key metaphors in this text that we'd like to spend some time on. The first is in verse 3, where it says, "'Tasted that the Lord is good.'" The second is in verse 5, that we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And then finally, I'd like to think about a purpose. In verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So, the purpose of desiring the things of God, the purpose of being built up, is that we may proclaim the excellencies. So, the first metaphor is that of taste. Tasting God causes a hunger for Him and His ways. Peter says, If you have tasted that the Lord is good, and He implies that you will long for Him. And this taste metaphor is one that we can all easily understand. And it's strong. If you ask a person, what their favorite food is, or what their favorite drink is, or what about it is that they like. And people will have very strong opinions about how this particular thing should or shouldn't be tasted. And each of us kind of have a story of how that taste developed. We don't immediately become, uh, you know, an incredible connoisseur of a particular type of food instantly in one taste. It's normally something that has developed over time. But rarely is that taste simply flavored once and then left alone. It normally grabs us in, and we invest more and more into the pursuit of that taste. So whether... Uh, like me, you're a coffee guy and you spend a lot of time and energy creating an incredible cup of coffee because you've tasted that and uh, stuff that's pre-ground isn't good enough. Okay? The, the taste creates the desire. Whether you're a person from uh, the South who enjoys good barbecue, if you're from one location, it has to be a certain way. Because that's how over time things have developed and people's tastes have been shaped. So they desire that particular thing. These tastes inform our desires. Our experience of Christ is also shaped by our tastes. Peter states that if we have tasted, we will desire. And we will desire as a newborn infant desires milk. Now the normal New Testament reference to milk in the life of a believer is normally that of an immature believer needing simple truth and simple understanding to grow upon. In this particular reference to an infant and to milk, It's more about desire than it is about maturity. You see, an infant in that state knows no other taste, no other place for growth than the milk. And if you've observed an infant drinking its bottle, you see the desire with which it takes it in. If it's hungry, it must have that milk, and it must have it now. And it portrays that very vividly. So the idea of the infant desiring milk is of desire. What is seen as valuable is sought after with great desire. the Apostle Paul gives us a list of things to avoid in the first verse there and if we consider those all of those are sourced from desire when we act with intent to harm someone or do something against somebody it's normally to fulfill a desire that we want when we act hypocritically It's normally to protect ourselves from something or it's to create something for ourselves. So we act as someone we're not to gain the benefits of something that we desire. And normally our sins are a result of our misplaced desires. These desires rule our hearts. You may think to yourself, how possibly could somebody do this? Or how possibly could somebody do that? And we read often these horrible acts that humans do to each other. And you think to yourself, how possibly could someone do that? It's an illustration of desire run amuck, of desire owning a person and causing them to do things uh, that we don't always understand. So what do we do when we do not feel these desires rightly, when we desire things that are ungodly? Often our response to these desires is to respond internally. What is wrong with me that I can't desire well? Can I gather up enough courage and oomph to make this work? Can I create these desires within myself do I pull myself up by my bootstraps? Can I shape my desires? I think we've all experimented with that and found that that doesn't create lasting desire. The right response in reaction to our, to our desire is to seek more of God and more of His Word. Seek to inform your spiritual taste buds of a much greater enjoyment. If you find yourself desiring the things that you ought not, then it's not simply good enough to not carry out those desires. The desires need to be replaced With desiring God. In reality, sin promises satisfaction by sort of airbrushing itself. If you've ever seen how people prepare things for advertisements and the levels that they go to make them look so perfect, it it does actually include in food and airbrushing it and making it look so wonderful but it's not real. You wouldn't want to eat that hamburger that they have that nice perfect picture of because for the most part it's not even cooked. It's made to sell something and our desires can do the same thing. Sin promises that you're gonna gain ultimate satisfaction here in this if you just take it one step further and one step further. But the real truth of God cuts through that, and the true tasting of God forms an insatiable hunger. If we really see God for who He is. If we really have tasted fully of Him, and we will seek after Him. Thomas Schreiner says, "Longing to go to grow spiritually comes from a taste." Of the beauty of the Lord, an experience of his kindness and goodness. Those who pursue God ardently have tasted his sweetness. The desire to grow springs from an experience with the Lord's kindness, an experience that leaves believers desiring more. And that leads us. To again, the next metaphor. That of building and building with stones. And this is the growing part. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. We also see the imagery of the cornerstone. The idea is of something being. Built is something that we long for in our lives. If our desires are not where they should be, and we long for them to be built up to where they should be. If you think uh, of the the imagery of building with stones, again, in in our modern world, we we build with these uniform, pre-manufactured things, and you simply put them in the way they were meant to be put in but we still rely on something for guidance, whether it be a laser or a string or a level, something that provides us with guidance. When you were building with stone, with raw stone, and you had to mill out that stone perfectly for its use, then the first stone is one that sets the course of the building. And a lot of times, this cornerstone was a large stone meant to set the course of the building. You didn't have mortar or other things to try to fix it. Everything had to be cut perfectly. And so as you were laying this cornerstone, you were very careful that it was perfectly placed and perfectly shaped. same as in our Christian life are we laying are we building upon a foundation that is unsquare is the question he's asking us Christ is a foundation with which we can build and as he continues on here we will either build upon him as cornerstone or we will stumble Each of us is either repelled by Christ in that we stumble, or we by faith come and taste. As we continue through life, we build by repeatedly returning to the direction and guidance that Christ as our cornerstone gives. As members of a church, the church as well must be built upon the foundation of Christ and we must continue to return to that foundation. Our history, our tradition, our development of practice, all of these things can be helpful but if they become the foundation, then we can be sure we are building awry. The imagery of these stones being laid Uh, is made even more interesting by the idea of them being living. So this cornerstone is a self-leveling cornerstone, and it cares that the building is built well. And the stones that are being used, you and I, in the building of the church, are living as well. The stones are growing, and they continue to grow in faith as they rely and as they are built upon the cornerstone of Christ. Peter quotes uh, Psalms 118 here, where he says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Those that build on this rock will find the rock steady and firm, throughout their life. This stone is trustworthy and sure. But there are those who don't always who don't see Christ as that. And in fact, they will stumble over this rock. It says those that reject this stone as the cornerstone will find that it becomes a rock of stumbling. And we change words here from stones to rock. And this rock means more of a cliff or a place of destruction than a place of building. What is the cornerstone for some? Causes perishing to those who reject. Again, as you look around our world, we see many people who reject Christ, who reject His ways, who stumble over Him to their own destruction. In Romans 9, the Apostle Paul speaks about the Jews and how they have stumbled over Christ. In Romans 9, verse 30, he begins, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. The Jews were building, in a sense they were building upon the law of God, but they were building from the wrong foundation. They were building upon the foundation of their own goodness, of their own greatness, and not on the foundation of Christ. In closing, I'd like to think about the purpose of all of this. The purpose defines, in a sense, the foundation. If one is going to build, one must have a purpose in mind to begin with. I believe that purpose is found in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The purpose of our life is to proclaim the excellency of God. And so we must ask ourselves, does our life indicate that this is so? Are we portraying to the world around us the identity that we have here? Are we living as a chosen race? As a royal priesthood? As a holy nation? As people who have been called out of darkness? A people who have received mercy? He goes on then to ask about our conduct. Again, as we've said, our our salvation, our righteousness is in Christ alone. It's not something that we take away from. It's not something we add to. But as a person who is identified with Christ, we will portray His goodness. We will desire if we truly have tasted Him, if we're building upon Him, then our life will show that that is the case. Again, our our pursuit of morality, of living rightly, is not to gain ourselves salvation. It's not to create in ourselves some personal goodness. We know that in God's eyes we stand condemned, each and every one of us, and without Christ and His righteousness... We are undone. But if we are a chosen race, if we are a holy nation, if we are a people of God's possession, then that will and must show in our character and in our actions. If this is you, if you are Christian, then show that which is most desired in your life by ordering it rightly. When your desires are not reflecting the excellencies of Christ, then seek to inform your heart with the word of God, that it may shape its desires. A response to sinfulness in our life is not one of attempting to make ourselves better, But in repentance, we say that we are not enough. That our desires, we agree with God that our desires are not right. And in His Word, we seek to shape our desires. Psalm 51, again, the words of David For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment. My mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins, remove the stain of my guilt. And he follows here with what should be our response. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. And they will return to you. May we seek Christ and may He continue His work in us.